Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with musicians about songwriting and the creative process. Today's guest is Early James. I had a blast talking with him. We met up in person in September at the Americana Fest in Nashville. We discussed his recent album, Strange Time to Be Alive, which was produced by Dan Arbach of the Black Keys at his Easy Eye Sound Studios. I don't know why I continue to be pleasantly surprised by my interactions and conversations with the young artists I get to spend a bit of time with. They have been consistently engaging, entertaining, sincere, fully committed to their craft, and just interesting, nice, and fun people to be around. James was certainly no exception. An industry event like Americana Fest can be a hectic time for artists, particularly ones who are getting a bit of notice, as early James is. He arrived at our session after a full day of various commitments, recording things, interviews, filming things. Fortunately for all of us, I was his last stop, and he arrived with a few beers in his hand and announced he was ready to relax. So we did. We had a fully relaxed, wide-ranging, and very entertaining conversation. Neither of us was ready for it to stop. In fact, when I brought the recording to a close, James had the idea to immediately record a second follow-up episode right then, in which he would invent new song titles on the spot and discuss the stories behind these made-up songs. He got started on a couple. It was very entertaining. I may have to have him back on for that special episode soon. But the conversation we did record was very enjoyable, James was thoughtful and engaged. The discussion about how he thinks about delivering the messages of his lyrics, where he talks about Japanese video games, is really great. Stick with him. He seems to wander in his answer at the outset, but he lands the plane wonderfully, and it all makes insightful sense. As to early James' music, I strongly encourage you all to spend some time with this record. I think calling James' music throwback or retro, as some might do, would be doing it somewhat of a disservice. There are so many influences here, so many styles that he nods to, and the creative ways he ties them together is really something. There's diversity in the types and moods of the songs on the record, and his lyrical skills and vocal delivery are singular. All of it adds up to something special you won't hear elsewhere. I suppose Tom Waits would be about the only name that comes to my mind, but James is certainly doing his own thing here, and this is a record worth repeated spins. It definitely continues to grow on me. Quick shout out to Neil Dahlgren at Eclipse Music Group for putting this conversation together. Once again, Neil made everything very smooth and easy. It's much appreciated. So please enjoy this Tell You What discussion with Early James. Oh Lord, I think I just might be betting on a throne fight between a man and a mannequin. Just lost to a banana skin If I was busy every Sunday Then I wouldn't feel so mundane Feeling good seems sort of finite Kinda like I'm racing to a red light Early James, welcome to Tell You What podcast. Thanks so much for making the time for us during Americana Fest here in Nashville. I know you've been pretty busy this week, haven't you? A little bit. You've been having any fun? None at all. No (laughs) fun. It's all work. I hate it. (laughs) Well, we'll see if we can change that this afternoon. (laughs) I did catch your set last night. It seemed like you had some fun there. Uh, It's all fun. I'm just kidding. Good. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. 
You recently released your album, Strange Time to Be Alive. It's been very well received. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Your previous record, Singing for My Supper, that one came out pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic, right? I think, uh, yeah, COVID dropped its record at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's and, uh, right. So now this one, you get to get out there and play the songs live. It must feel pretty good. It's kind of a different world, one release to the next you're looking at, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess what helped me with the first one was the fact that I had never released a record. So uh, there, it was, there was no um, preconceived expectation of what was going to happen. So it's weird to like think back and actually... I thought it went pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you yeah. know what it's supposed to be like, though. Yeah. A lot busier. <laughs> and, there you go. And a few more performances than uh, two or three. <laughs> yeah. So is it generally a practice to perform your songs live before you decide to record them? Um, it depends. If I'm having a lot of fun playing them and they're not out, I'll still play them. Which is always weird because, you know, with having a producer and we already have a, a version of what we do as a four piece or a two piece. Right. And then you go into the studio and it's like, oh, that changed. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, what is on the record is on the record and we usually keep playing it the way that we've always played it live. Is that right? Um, we'll do it that way until... Dan finds out and complains about it. But yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. We'll get into it a little bit later, what it's like working with Dan and, and his musicians. But for now, I want to go back in time for a minute, back to your uh, musical youth, if we can. When you get started in music, you're born and raised in Alabama, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, grew up largely in Troy, Alabama, and uh, graduated high school from Louisville, Alabama, mm -hmm. which is... A little bit further south. Okay. And uh, so what kind of music was in your house growing up or what kind of influences do you think have gotten into who you are today as a musician, the stuff you're making? I remember like the first band I knew by name, you know, like when you're a kid, uh -huh. you don't really know what the hell is going on. Somebody's just in charge of the radio. <laughs> you don't know who these voices are. The first band I remember my mom had When Hell Freezes Over on VHS, and she would keep that on all the time. So yeah. I just knew every Eagle song before I was even 10 years old. Well, that's a pretty good place to start as a songwriter. I think so. Yeah, like we got we got to take her to see the Eagles recently, and they, they're still killing it. Yeah. Um, it was amazing to see that live. But... uh yeah, the the Eagles, that was like uh, the first song that I would, was Take It Easy. Uh -huh. That's the first song. And I wouldn't know the lyrics, I'd just be like a kid like, well, I'm heading down a road trying to live. My voice wasn't that deep, but <laughs> <laughs> like I would just make up the lyrics. So how old are you, you five years old at this point, probably? Probably around there. Yeah. And I remember the first time I ever saw live music, uh, it was, uh, Easter was a really big deal uh -huh. on my mother's side of the family. And my, my grandmother was the youngest of 13 children. So like she had, we had a lot of distant family that would all come 
for Easter out in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody hired a cover musician, completely unplugged, came out there in the woods around a bonfire, and we all just kind of gathered around him. And I remember him, I was like, Mama, can he play Take It Easy? <laughs> I bet you And could. he played it. <laughs> I was like, he got paid for this? Yeah. I need to know. I need to figure out what's going on with this. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, that was the first time I ever saw live music. Yeah. And uh, on my gra- I lived with my grandmother a very long time, and both grandmothers. Mm-hmm. My granddad listened to a lot of bluegrass and a lot of blues. He's from Memphis. Okay. My dad listened to a lot of Willie and Waylon and some Boscags. Yeah. Never really liked Boscags. <laughs> a lot of Johnny Cash. My grandmother listened to big band music mainly. Oh. So a lot of Count Basie. Yeah. A lot of crooners. Now, you grew up in a religious family, it sounds like. So was, was music intertwined with the religion in your family? Church music or no? Thinking back on it, like, they had a very secular appreciation of music. And then it was almost like the worship music was work. (laughs) (laughs) If I got to get to heaven, then I guess I got to sing this. (laughs) My grandmother was in the choir and played a little bit of piano. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, white people hymnals suck yeah. <laughs> they're never fun <laughs> so how did you find your way to making music on your own then um I had a buddy Joe Bradley who played and um I would always if I went over to his house I'd I'd play it play his Telecaster he had a, a Mexican Telecaster thin line like 72 reissue and uh I would play that, so it was weird to, like, the first guitar I got used to was an electric, and then my, yeah. my aunt... So how old were you at this point? Fifteen. Okay. And then I finally, I asked for one two years in a row for Christmas, and I got it on the second year. So and, you were uh, 17 when you got your first guitar. Fifteen. Fif- well, I tell you, I saw you play last night, and you're a young man. I would have predicted that you you were someone who started playing when you were five years old with the skills you had. I wish. <laughs> it's weird how you sit and think about, like, why were you playing stupid video games? Yeah. Like, well, you seem to have made up for lost time, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you got some skills. So you started playing guitar when you're 15. What about singing? I was singing before. I loved singing in the shower before... Mm-hmm. I ever picked up the guitar. Okay. Like I remember the first time I heard Hank Williams Sr., YouTube had just come out, and I just had Your Cheating Heart, Tear in My Beer, uh, Hey Good Looking, all queued up. And my sister, my sister's room was right next to mine, <laughs> and I would just keep playing it over and over again and singing along with it. And like it'd be the seventh or 17th or 70, you know, 70th time. And she would just be like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, <laughs> did you not get enough out of the first five times you sang along with them? But yeah, I, if I was obsessed with uh, Hank Williams, and then I got really into blues and really wanted to play guitar so yeah. eventually. So when you started playing the guitar, were you singing along with yourself from the gate? Or was that something that came I later? was trying. Yeah. 
like I would on my flip phone, I would, you, you had a voice recorder on there. Yep. And, uh, I mean, uh, you could record your voicemail. So I would write a stupid song, but oftentimes I would just like play the guitar and then sing my line. Yes. Like, but cause I, I learned pretty early, but, and then I would sing my line, Yes. but I couldn't do it at, at the, the same, same time. time. And, uh, I wrote a stupid song about a guy named, uh, Reggie Bryant uh-huh. that, uh, I played football with and I made that my voicemail. And, Reggie uh, ever hear the song? Yeah. People would call me just so they could, hear, could hear it. Hear the, the... <laughs> and, uh, so That's a good. boy named Reggie was my first, yeah. uh, was my first song I ever wrote. So you were writing songs from the start. Playing the guitar, singing. And so did that keep up? Did you just keep writing songs as you were going along? I was definitely very shy to play them out. It took me probably a year and a half to like... I had a lot of covers. I was playing like four-hour sets, and I would mix in... Now you're 17 years old, 18? 16, 17. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, probably 17. That's the, pretty quick. By the time pretty I was quick playing, work was, to get a four-hour set down when you just got your first guitar. Not long before that, that was about all I was doing. <laughs> I quit. I quit football and yeah, baseball in tenth grade. And uh, so now you start mixing in originals after a while. Eventually, and sometimes you know, I think I learned really early on that uh, no one's listening, especially when you're seventeen. It's like. Who's this kid in the bar with X's on his hands? So he can't do it. I was like, and uh, so I would just, so I would means- have an idea for a song and I would just make up syllables, not even words. Yeah. And just try because it felt good to do it in front of a crowd. That's pretty and then bold. Figure it out. Well, nobody cared, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 1 a.m. in Troy, Alabama at the yeah. Double Branch. So that's great. Um, I hope to get into this more specifically later with some of the songs when we talk about them. But you have a great way with words. You seem to really enjoy wordplay, right? So has language always been an interest of yours? Um, I definitely reading reading always came easy to me, and yeah. I, I uh, it's funny. Like I played a lot of video games that had like stories in them. Yeah, growing up, and when I was before I was in kindergarten i would always like i would get tired of having to go get my mom to be like what is this character saying right (laughs) and so my mom taught me i before i went to preschool i I could read a little bit okay and uh i always enjoyed reading and uh words always i always like words yeah Yeah. language is fascinating it certainly shows in your lyrics I want to talk about your vocal style a little bit now, too. It certainly is unique. Is this something you worked consciously on as a younger person, developed this style? Um, were there people you were kind of emulating, or was it just organically the way your, your singing came out? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely I call it like a church voice, what you sang with without thinking. Yes. Um And I hated that. I hated... You hated your church voice. I hated hearing notes of my speaking voice because I didn't, like, believe 
You know what I mean? Like you didn't want to listen to your you own didn't, voice. Like I don't trust myself. I don't believe what I'm saying half the time. Okay. So it was like, I don't think anybody else is going to believe me if I'm saying either. So I, I was always just trying to sound like Helen Wolf, and you know, not really. So you're thinking not that, really anyone else. I was always so you think trying like to sound the messages like of your songs were better delivered from, let's say, someone else's voice that right. wasn't yours. Yeah. I think I was capable of saying or writing a thing, but I never thought anyone would believe it if uh, if it was sung how I naturally sang. I guess. So did that? You think that fed back into your songwriting? Like you felt more free to write certain things because you had this other voice to sing them in. Am I going too deep for you? No, I, I, I see what you're saying. I I think that helped me maybe. I was very, you know, um, introverted. Yeah. And uh, extremely introverted. Like, Adrian, my bass player, loves talking about, like, how awkward it was to, like, he was like, well, I love playing music with you, but, like, I really didn't like hanging out with you at first. (laughs) (laughs) Not that you're annoying. It was just like, how do we navigate this social dilemma? (laughs) And, uh... You know, I think eventually, yeah, it was, you know, having that voice to like actually say instead of uh, stammering or, or, you know, not knowing what to say. Mm-hmm. So you get so long to think about it when it's just in your head and you're like, nobody's going to listen to me talk. Uh, so I might as well come up with a fake voice. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, let's talk about your creative process for a bit if we can. In terms of your songwriting, do you have a regular practice? Do you try and write all the time? Does your writing tend to come in streaks or maybe just when you have inspiration? How has it generally been working for you? I would like to have a more, a better workflow about it because I think it is a job. I don't think it's like some magic thing. But sometimes, I mean, it is weird. You know, like if you're working at it all the time, you're going to maybe more times than not probably write a bunch of shitty songs but like i also think there's something about not writing because the the quote i think that's ruined a lot of songwriters or like maybe even kept people from writing or aspiring was bob dylan saying you know it's just magic if it doesn't come out in the first five minutes then you don't have a song. It's like, that's bullshit. That is not true at all. Maybe for him. Right. But Bob Dylan famously lied just all the time about everything. It's just like, (laughs) I have heard like people that wrote with him really did say he, he came out with songs really quickly, but I still think he had to work just, just like everybody else. But, uh, but I think there's something that, even if you're not sitting down and writing or uh, coming up with something, if you do music for a living and you write for a living, it's not like you actively doing it. It's always going on in your head. Right. So it's not magic. You know, you just sat around not writing. You've been writing in the back of your head subconsciously. And so that magic is just like your brain whether or not you believe it, like was working. And then you spit that thing out. Yes. That's what I think. Like, yeah, 
So the next question is the trick of getting it from your subconscious onto the page, right? That that can be a process unto itself, right? Is there anything you do or try to do in terms of activities or setting or time of day to to get the ideas on I, paper or, or onto the guitar or whatever it is? The guitar is a lot easier. It usually just starts with um, a riff. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll base the chord progression around the riff depending on what notes are on the riff, you know, or what key. So you're generally working with an acoustic guitar in your hands. Um, I'd say probably 95% of the time. Okay. And sometimes sound check or something will accidentally fall into a groove yeah. while we're waiting for a sound guy or for mics to be set up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the guitar part, and that that's usually the first thing, or just like a word, you know, uh, uh-huh. A word that's just fun to say or that a phrase or, you yeah. know, racing to a red light was a thing that I heard on a TV show, uh, True Detective season one. Which uh, was awesome, by yeah, the way. One of my favorite, <laughs> probably my favorite, uh, you know, standalone TV yeah. show. So that's where racing to a red light. Yeah, Math- Matthew McConaughey's uh, character said that to Woody Harrelson's character. And like the second episode, and I yeah. was immediately grabbed my phone and was like, "Is this a song?" Right. And I couldn't find one. There have there has been a song released then since, since then. then since when I first saw it. Somebody else but is it's not. the same show. <laughs> <laughs> I think it must have happened the same way. Yeah. But uh, so some so yeah so so back to what you're saying. Sometimes it starts with a guitar riff. Sometimes there's another question I had because of the way your lyrics are so striking. Sometimes you do start with an interesting word or interesting phrase and kind of build around that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like putting your foot in the door. Yeah, but it can happen either with the music or the words for you, the foot. Yeah, I guess like one's a foot and one's a door and (laughs) they collide. So you find the right lyric that matches the right riff and then you go from there. That's usually... I'll have a word or a phrase or an idea and then pair it with a chord progression or any kind of um, riff Sorry, I have totally that, that makes sense. Oh, you're good, man. Um, I want a battery to die. <laughs> Sorry, I stepped all over what you were saying. Do you sometimes have riffs or pieces of lyric in the hopper and try and pull something out from before and match it up with this new thing you got up from the other yeah. side. And it'll sometimes take, you know, sometimes years to use a riff. Yeah. Um, you have a bunch of voice memos laying around. And I, sometimes I'll forget them. And I'll just have to like sit down for an hour and just, or longer. Cause there's, uh, I'll check. There's, yeah, let's see how many you got. We're going to start course. a spreadsheet of these. Um, for all our guests, how many voice memos. And some of them are terrible. I would that would actually be a really good comedy, but no one would like it. But uh, <laughs> play your old like, sound. Hold it up to a microphone and uh, see what was going on at two thirty three on a Tuesday yeah. in the morning. Yeah. So I have you know three hundred and fifty notes. Most are just like three or four words. Wow. And some and then, are oh those are those are the some are, those are the written notes. Some are okay. dabbled. Yeah. But, um, and then separately have the- and then the voice memos I have 
166, okay. and I've lost them a few times because I wasn't updated on the cloud. So. Right. Stupid cloud. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? All right, it? so we got 350 lyric ideas, 150 voice memos. You got several box sets coming out of your phone, I think, eventually. I mean, 90% of them are probably absolute trash, but... Maybe I could work with them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good at trash. <laughs> so I'm fascinated with the way you use your voice, the phrasing, the stops and starts in your vocals, the way you kind of sing across bars and bars and measures sometimes. How does this aspect, your your vocal technique, come into your creative process? And what I'm saying is at what point in your song creation are you thinking about choices in terms of vocal phrasing? If you understand my question. Um, it's really just whatever it feels like. Like yeah. if I hear it, I try it. And sometimes I'll hear it for a really long time before I get the guts to try it. Mm -hmm. It usually happens live. Cause I think to have that like scariness of like not knowing if you'll hit the note. Yeah. In a moment, like in a writing situation, if we're like writing the song, there's no way in how like if you and I are co-writing, yeah, or something, two yes. cups of coffee, I'm gonna try to belt one <laughs> and risk my voice squeaking and be like, "Man, I'm sorry. We should probably let's just like call this quick because that would be too embarrassing." <laughs> but like, uh, well, let me give you an idea. Yeah. The song "Something for Nothing," right? That title line, the way you deliver that, is kind of like the hook of the song to mm -hmm. me. Right? So when does that idea come about the way you're going to deliver that line in such a unique way? I guess it's just... Uh, I just wanted it to... like I love... I like um, writing songs where the chorus is like over like that. Yeah. Like, and that, I think of... Da, 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 as a chorus. I mean, a chorus doesn't have to be... 15 seconds long yeah so like and i love having songs where like there's a lot of songs on the record that are like that like that format yeah i've always loved having a phrase that is easy to remember or like just catchy you just like how saying something for nothing is just fun yeah you know but i love the hesitation in the line too mm -hmm. that's what really gets me all right i want to talk about this new album of yours if we can strange time to be alive produced by dan arbach of the black keys second time you've worked with him it must have you must have felt it went okay the first time i don't have a choice <laughs> somebody <laughs> has a choice the litigious areas that i dare not tread <laughs> but uh yeah um it's a lot of fun to work with dan yeah for sure let's talk about the way that works he has this collection of you kind of hinted at this before he has this incredible collection of musicians in his studio you bring your songs to these people and what's the process i guess is what i'm asking for how he works in terms of interpreting your songs the first time you know i wanted to like go pay my guy like lester newby in birmingham to get my band in there and like show dan what i wanted the song to sound like right and he was like, no, don't dare No do demos. <laughs> okay. Do like almost purposely bad demos. Because that 
leaves so much. Just like if you can't see in the dark, like I'm looking at that lamp over there, but to me it looks like in the dark it looks like a an alien that's coming okay. to kill me. You know, like when things are obscured, I think he he likes it because you can create this entire soundscape around it's a blank canvas right and if i served him up something that was clearly you know already so thought about it would have probably there's nothing to really think about yeah you know um it's already a fleshed out idea i would send him those voice memos Mm -hmm. and um eventually i upgraded to Almost exactly what your setup here is. Pretty fancy. And uh, I love my little focus right duo. <laughs> and I had a, a tube mic that uh, that my manager, Neil, owned me. And mm-hmm. 57 from my guitar. And uh, just so you could hear some of the chord voicings a little more clear. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and he doesn't say anything. It's just radio silence. I'll send him the first time around. I think I sent him 25 songs. Yeah. And we had already written about 10 together. This time around, I sent him 36 songs. Wow. And that's a lot. We had written probably 10 of those. So there were. You and he had already gotten together to write with other folks. Part of this. Yeah, okay. So that's part uh, of the process also mm -hmm. is those writing sessions. And nobody says anything until the day of. Is this a nervous, nervous time for you? First time, yeah. Second yeah. time, I knew it was, it was coming, okay. so I didn't care. Okay. But yeah, he just, we got there and he wanted to record something for nothing. That was the first one. I even think you can feel like in that recording, that was the first time I'd ever played with Jay Bellrose. Yeah. I think you can hear in Jay Bellrose's playing, nothing is pushed. Now, I like to push a thing, you know, like... Tell me what you mean by that. Um, to push something musically means to like everyone is taking it there. Okay. So like that recording sounds so loose to how it sounds live. And I don't, I like that there's two different versions, yeah. but if you hear it live, it's going to be very pushed. So A lot like, tighter. I just want something for nothing. Da, 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 da. Like it's very, it's a lot more dynamic. Yes. But on the record, it's very lackadaisical and just kind of like floaty yep and uh, i think that's because jay was like listening very intently of like but it felt good yeah floaty so we just kept that take i just want something but nothing some kind of strange alchemy what a divine lord it just just take too much time I just want something or nothing So you send these songs to him he gives them to his musicians they they have the option to listen if they want to and sometimes Some of they them do not they out. just right there in the studio and uh, we listen wow. to we listened to it all together in the control booth and Mike Rojas the first time around charted them and uh, made copies, gave it to all the boys and we went in there and two or three takes later had it. And then this time Adrian, my 
buddy, uh, best friend, and uh, bass player. He played on it and played upright on them almost every song. But he charted them okay. and uh, had them pre-charted. So I think that's why we had such a quick. There was no waste of time. It was just how long start to finish when you went to the studio till the, till the songs are all done. Three days, wow. six hour days, eighteen hours roughly. That's pretty good, considering these people had not heard the songs before. <laughs> I think so. True pros, huh? I think the the biggest pros in the game. I probably. think you're probably yeah. right. What an experience that must be. Let's talk about some of these songs uh, in particular. I need to talk about Low Down Lonesome, your duet with Sierra Farrell, also co-written with her, right? And Dan, mm-hmm. I think this is a genius move in pairing the two of you, not just because you both have such wonderful vocal talents that pair up so well, but you also seem to share a vibe. She has also has kind of an off-kilter approach, right? Half drawing on root stuff, but also kind of twisting it around in a jazzy kind of theatrical way different from you but similar in mindset maybe would Mm -hmm. you agree i'm not like super familiar like i i had to be honest not not um listened to her before i met her oh okay and now i'm now you're getting it now i'm getting it yeah Yeah. well i think it was a great idea putting the two of you together and from a songwriting perspective i love how the duet plays out lyrically with each of you kind of narrating the other's character um I'd like to hear this, how this one came about. Did it start from scratch with the two of you saying, okay, this is going to be a duet and I'm going to sing your, about you and you're going to sing about me? Or how did that happen? Sierra brought in that chorus and that's about all she had. Like mm-hmm. she like going to that minor four. Nah, 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 nah. And I think Dan was like, yep, uh, let's start working on this one. Yeah. And it, I don't think I got a word in edgewise. <laughs> writing it dan and sierra wrote it and it happened very fast and i hated the lyrics okay but I, I didn't hate them didn't love but but like they just it happened so fast and i was like this is like yeah when you have sierra sing anything you know it's she could sing nice. the phone book it's gonna sound great and uh so i went home and went to work on the lyrics but um and everybody was okay with it yeah. it's usually what i do anyways but not that I do not mean to sound like the lyrics are were bad. Um, I thought the song had too much promise to like not tighten mm-hmm. up a few nuts in there. So, so you just said something. You said that's usually what I do anyway. You you fine tuning, changing, sharpening the lyrics over time. This is part of your practice. I think it's usually best if you're you know you're there for four hours in a writing. Mm-hmm. thing it's like if you get a placeholder it's best to move on because if you trust the if you trust the bones of yeah. the song then like it's not like that song's getting cut right so you're then, talking about leaving some, yeah, you, leaving you some trust time the bones you have that placeholder and then you figure it out over because then you just get to have it in the back of your mind and then eventually you figure out the best line yeah that so instead of arguing about it or wasting time in the session itself. Just move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that's what it was kind of like with Sierra. Well, I think it came out just magically. But when she gets lonesome I mean real down lonesome She turns to me And she says
just might help you, help you feel all right. Let's talk about co-writing for a second. Many of your songs you've written by yourself, some you've co-written with others. How would you compare and contrast your part of that process, writing by yourself versus writing with others? I think at first I hated it because uh, I didn't like trust anybody. And then I figured out, you know, mm-hmm. pretty quickly, like it's an absolute necessity. Why would you say it's a necessity? I just think, you know, when you when you're in the world I'm in and you get the chance to to work with so many wonderful minds that you shouldn't squander that chance. Yeah. Even if I, you know, could write by myself, I still it's just uh I think it's just like a different side of it. I I love it. It is scary at times to like trust someone cuz it's a uh, writing a song especially if Dan brings in somebody that I've never met. Mm-hmm. I'm often trying to write a song that's almost therapeutic where I'm like, if I say it out loud, that maybe I'll get better at something that I'm failing at, you know? And uh, I'm not going to, I might accidentally leave it vague, but it's, mm-hmm. I don't mean it to be vague. So like, if I'm going to write a song about a subject matter, I don't want it to, I want that person to know what I'm meaning, but, okay. you know, and, uh, so you if they don't understand up. what the song's about, then how the hell are they going to yeah. throw out a lyric? So yeah. like, it has to be borderline therapy, which is funny. Like sometimes people immediately know what that's like. And it's just like <laughs> Dan, Dan, like at one point just walked out of the room. Cause it was like, so how do you feel about your father? <laughs> and Dan was like, I'm getting out of it. I've got to go check on something. That's what the other person <laughs> yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like Dan got out of there. But uh, the guy yeah. the guy that we were writing with, he, he was like, like, what do you, like, how do you feel about your father? Like, I need to understand so yeah. we can work on this line. <clears throat> so now that you've said that about opening yourself up to your co-writers about things that you're, you're trying to write about, does that mean there aren't really different types of songs you might write by yourself or with others, you know, keep the more personal ones to yourself then. No, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open about everything. Yeah. If anybody asks what a song was about, I'd tell them, yeah. but, uh, if I'm brought on to write for somebody else, um, I definitely have to know what that person just like how they felt about their when I, <laughs> I yeah. immediately say, How's your pops? Right. <laughs> let's get this out. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the song. What a strange time to be alive. I want to talk about your lyric writing specifically with this one. I'm going to quote from the song, a lyric that really got me. You're talking about how passing of time fall fell so fast. It was a hellscape haircut. Despite the color change. No, there was no change at all. These lines really grab me, an unexpected and kind of um, effective metaphor. Can you talk about how this song came together, maybe in terms of your lyric writing, um, how these great turns of phrase find their way into to your songs? Um, so that was a weird one to write. That happened either late March, like very beginning of 2020. Oh, okay. Or like April 1st, because it was a Zoom call, right, with Austin Jenkins. He's uh, used to be White Denim's guitar player. Uh 
Yep. And um, also wrote most of the songs on... Um, it's a younger guy. Everyone says he's like the new like uh, Marvin Gaye or like Sam Cooke. Oh, yeah, yeah. From Austin. What, yeah, what's his name? We're going to get to it. He did uh, that crong. Leon Bridges. Yeah, Leon Bridges. Yes. He wrote a lot of those songs uh-huh. with Leon Bridges. Those are great songs. Who I just think it's uh, fascinating. Uh, Leon does not, I learned this from Austin, Leon does not write with an instrument. He's like Michael Jackson, like in the way that he just, just hears like, it all in he his hears head. It. And Austin is such a good guitar player. Yeah. So, like, Leon will just, you know, belt one out, mm-hmm. and Austin's like, well, that could fit over this. Yeah. Do you want that to be major or minor? Like, ooh, that's kind of cool if we make that phrase, my, and, like, Austin can just do that. <clears throat> that's pretty cool. So, with Austin and Rob Thomas. I wrote right. with Rob Thomas. That was this song. Yeah. Strange sound. And, uh, yeah. And it would have never happened if the world had not, you know, like he would have never had time to do that. Oh, right. This was but, pandemic Zoom. So it was Zoom call. Yeah. And we wrote, that was the very first Zoom call, right, of that new understanding uh-huh. of what writing songs. And uh, I just remember we were all talking like it was just going to go back to normal. Right. You know. And uh, we got... The chorus, we got the bridge, and we got the first verse. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, all right, like, James, work on it, and, like, send me something. And, uh, like, as time went on, I was like, oh, we're not coming out of this. So I liked the idea of, like, this is really a cool song. Let me let the first year of this whole thing play out, and mm-hmm. then, like, after a season is over, let there be four verses. And then when the season's over, write the verse. Oh, okay. And then I wrote that, yeah, right when vaccines came out, I wrote that line about the light in the tunnel might be a train or whatever. Right. And I got really pissed off because Eric Clapton put out a anti-vax song with fucking Van Morrison that with the same line but it came I'd written it before he wrote that oh, song geez. <laughs> anyways that's an entirely different subject but yeah it was fun to like I remember like fall at everyone that was right around when everyone was cutting their own hair yes I remember that pretty specifically <laughs> and like as the colors were changing everything was the everything same everything was the same yeah but um These summer days have slipped And I feel slighted Sweet malaise Boy and celebrate Fall fell so fast It was a hellscape haircut Despite the color change no, there was no change at all So I guess the hours passed And this, this hour passed Oh, what a strange time to be alive 
Let's talk about more about your lyrical style for a minute. Your lyrics don't generally tell the story in a linear fashion, right? You make us work for it a little bit, but we're rewarded with these great, twisted, surprising turns of phrase. Not notable just for the wordplay, but for the singability of them also. I, I'm going to pay you a compliment here. I'm reminded of Elvis Costello in this way, who I think is like the master of, of that kind I of thing. I appreciate that. Um, how do you, can you talk about your place in the, in a continuum of say someone singing pure linear start, middle, end, you know, devil went down to Georgia, something like that. And on the other end, like Radiohead or, you know, random word generator music, where do you see your place in there? And what do you think you owe your audience? You've talked about this a little bit already about wanting people to understand what it is you're singing about without leading them down the path directly. I don't know. Uh, I, this is going to sound weird, but um, there's a, it's a little nerdy. There's a there's well, this video game series I really like, and it's called um, Dark Souls. Okay. And uh, the guy um, Miyazaki, he he now speaks English a lot better, but when he was a child, he loved reading. He only had a, a few words that he understood in English in English and he would read a whole western and he'd only understand about half of it and he'd have to make up the rest in his imagination when he was a child and so he ended up creating this like war of this world that he had created where, yeah and I don't think he knows what the truth is but like you know, in the game, you pick up an item, you identify it, and you get a story about this long-lost kingdom that to really understand this world that you're in, you have to, like, you make the story what you want it to be, I guess, essentially. Yep. And uh, you make sense of it, but it's also, like, addicting because it's like, God, what really happened? Yeah. You know? And I think a lot of people are starting to do that. Like, I think... uh the director, horror, horror director, um, Jordan Peele. Okay. Yep. Um, with Nope. You know, yes. No spoilers, but like, there's so much information when you get, and everyone's just like, what was that thing? Like, what? Yes. Like, with all his movies, like, there's so much left where I think, you know, in the past horror movies or science fiction or, you know, anything like that wanted you to leave knowing exactly what happened. There was a the truth. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think it's just so much more fascinating to, you know, I think I know what I'm saying, but yes. I don't really sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot more fun for me to write a song and like, because if, you know, there's not a finality to what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. um, it's an ongoing issue usually. And you know, some songs... I've written and that there is a beginning, middle, and end. And some is like, I might never fix this problem with myself or in a relationship or with God or with, you know, anything. Right. Um, so I like, I like leaving, you know, things a little bit uh, up in the air, yeah, I guess. That's great. I want to talk about the song Straight Jacket for Two. Would it offend you if I said I was a little creeped out by the song? Yeah. Um, it would offend you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a good way. It definitely got to me, that's for sure. Not the most wholesome view of a relationship, you must admit. That one started out um, Fergie, um, who 
engineered meta modern sounds and country music with Sturgill. Yes. My, my first record. I like, he was just going on and on about somebody of his. And he was like, just talking about how crazy their relationship was. Okay. And he was like, man, that, that couple managed is a straight jacket made for two. Yeah. And I, that was another That's, thing. I was like, Fergie, I'm writing that down. Yep. Do you want to write it together? And he was like, you take it. <laughs> and, uh, I got permission. He was obviously making it sound like a terrible, toxic relationship. And I was like, that'd be fun to like somehow make this sweet. Yeah. <laughs> or try to. So that's where that one came from. I love the dynamics in the song. The drums in particular here, they really set the mood of this song perfectly. Is that something that came about in the studio or were you thinking about that before you brought it in? The way, the way it sounds. I had that riff and had the song done yeah. and uh, was already performing it a lot. And uh, I don't think I'd played it with a drummer at that point. Might have. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was all Jay Belrose, just being Jay Belrose. Man, it, it fits the mood of what you're singing very well. It really, the whole package is great. Well, how would we fit into a straight jacket made for two side by side, a back to back, a court ordered stack. You no, know, I'd always watch your six on down that river sticks. Love them like apples Forbidden fruit stuck in a hellish loop No space between these sordid sardines Crammed in a stitched up kangaroo Let's buckle down on a wedding gown A little straitjacket made Made for crooks like me and you. I did want to ask you, I saw you play last night with your acoustic guitar. All of the song, most of the songs on this record feature electric guitar. There's one, uh, Dance in the Fire, I can think of that features acoustic guitar. There are a couple that feature piano, right? Mm. Last night I saw you play Pigsty on the acoustic guitar, which was a piano song on the record. First of all, are these almost all these songs written on acoustic originally? Yeah, Pigsty and, and Dance in the Fire were all written on acoustic. And, Do you uh, play the piano? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because they, I mean, Pigsty sounds like such a piano song. It, it's interesting that you wrote it on the, on the acoustic. I guess that goes to the recording of it. And that's a song that I sat on for 12 years. I had that. Oh, my gosh. That melody was based around um, John Coltrane's solo. Yeah. And So What? There is such a jazz vibe yeah. in the song. And yeah. uh, there's one part in Coltrane's solo where it goes, but it's a pretty meandering phrase. And I was like, that little part right there. 
was so infectious. Mm-hmm. And on the record, it's just over a change. So it's sitting on one chord. And uh, I was like, man, like, I feel like that could fit in two chords. And uh, I came up with that and never wrote anything to it. And it took years to finally write that song. Yeah. 12 years. Till the lyrics found you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and it was cool to write a love song. I still think that's probably the best song I've ever written, lyrically. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, when Mike Rojas started playing, Dan wanted me to play guitar. And I was had it on me for my vocal take. And I just turned the volume down because I heard Mike Rojas play the piano. I was like, what the hell could I offer? <laughs> yeah, there's no this guitar. Wonderful. There's no guitar on the track. I don't no think. guitar at all. There's technically a baritone guitar. Okay. I'm afraid of heights. And you're afraid of snakes. For once I have no fear of falling as you call. In a defensive state Won't you tell me, dear Do you feel To reciprocate There's nothing for to promise There's nothing for so you writing these songs on acoustic. What what is the thinking? When are you thinking? Well, this is going to sound good when I switch to electric, or after the fact? Are you thinking, let's just do some some of these with the electric guitar? Or how's that happening? I used to uh, like want uh, a record to sound exactly like it would sound live, right. and I didn't want to. I didn't want to like cut any corners or like no overdubs, nothing, you know. And then I. The first times I was in the city, it was start off me, just solo. And then eventually I started, you know, I was always paying for my time. So I was like, let's just get in here and get out. Like, yep. what does it sound like live? I can't afford to, like, think any further than that. What can I play on guitar and sing? And what can you play on bass? What can you play on drums? All at the same time. There's always a trio or a yeah. duo. like, And then, like... When it's with Dan, it's like, why wouldn't you think forever about it? so? Um, so the luxury—it's a luxury to be able to think about yeah. different instrumentations. Now. And then you put the record out, and you figure out how to play it with, After with the, the people you have. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that and, earlier. Uh, I try. I tell all the uh, the boys that play with me, like, do not, don't even listen to the record. <laughs> Please don't. Well, everyone listening to this podcast yeah. should listen to the record. Yeah. Okay. Please do. Right. Unless you want to play in my band. <laughs> well. Don't listen to it. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm kind of conflicted because I also want to play in your band. <laughs> but uh, just because it should, I don't, I don't want to, I personally don't want to buy a record and then go see the record. No. Live. I'm with you on that. Why would you do that? Yes. But I also, you know, don't want to buy Grateful Dead. Record, record and then go see so like there's something in the middle i don't want to be a jam band but yes, uh, i, I want to be a jelly band like, yes. or something like that like. <laughs> all right it's been a long day for you 
James. Keep going, man. Got another beer. <laughs> well, I don't know. We're going to run out of beer at some point. <laughs> Let me give you kind of a big picture question. All right. Is there something in terms of your creative process, songwriting, performing even, that you think you've gotten better at over time or you've been working on or maybe something that you're trying to work on going forward as part of your creative life? Uh, I certainly hope so. I think it's all gotten slowly better. And I think it's important that you always look at yourself the same way you did as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think that's like probably the most important thing about being an artist is always having the same values and like, yeah, I know I've gotten better at guitar. Yeah, I know I've gotten, but like, so (laughs) keep getting better like yeah because it's boring if you like why would you want to be an artist if there's not room to grow yeah. and i love getting my ass kicked by other artists you know not even in music you know just like wow how did he or she or you know who whoever think of that i would have never thought about that right and like um stay that's here. what keeps me living you know stay humble yeah and keep the youthful joy in there right because right. if you know i don't ever want to feel old <laughs> um well you're doing a pretty good job so far yeah. <laughs> well early james thanks so much for taking this time out of your day i look forward to seeing i saw you play solo last night i look forward to your full band set i'm going to see later this week thank you man. and you're going to be getting out on the road with your band we were talking before this so hopefully our listeners can find those dates when you'll be coming to a city near them. And uh, I hope you have some more fun at Americana Fest. Thank you so much, man. All right, James. I'd love to come back. Yeah, you can come back sometime. Peace and